We're going to do this a little bit different today uh, than what I normally do. I'm not going to have you stand right now. Uh, I'm just going to preach a message today straight from a pastor's heart. Is that all right? It's going to be a pastoral style message. So um, I'm going to start it off this way. Well, here we are again. How many knows what I'm talking about? Here we are again. They tell us that this virus is rampant once again. I have seen and heard of new cases all week long. We have families in this church that are quarantined right now. And I'm not going to get into this whole vaccination debate. Can I hear an amen? I'm vaccinated, but I fully believe in uh, people's choice to do what they feel like is best for them. I'm not going to argue that. What I am going to tell you is this. We were originally told by the CDC that fully vaccinated people would not have to wear a mask or quarantine if they were exposed to COVID. How many remembers that? But then just this past Tuesday, the CDC has now recommended that all people, both vaccinated and unvaccinated, mask while in groups if indoors. Have you heard that? They have. That's their recommendation. Governor's not mandated it yet. We, we did all this stuff last year, and I know some of you are getting nervous already, but let me be clear and state something right now. I just want to get this out of the way. This is a pastor's heart speaking this morning. Unless I am literally forced to, and I mean this, unless I am literally forced to, I will not be shutting this church down again. I preached to empty seats staring at a video camera for nearly three full months of last year. I took every single protocol possible. We removed every other row of chairs. We asked everybody to wear a mask to and from their seats. I took every protocol possible. There are hand sanitizing stations all throughout this building that cost lots, ridiculously lots of money. We did every protocol possible to protect my family and our people and then people that I love in this church and my family. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. Lord knows I love myself. And we all still got COVID. How many knows what I'm talking about? Now, they may not have gotten it at church, but they got it somewhere. And I am sick and tired of this world trying to make us believe that it's okay to go to Walmart, Lowe's, Kroger, ball tournaments and cheerleading competitions and get in masses of people, but we're scared to death to come to the house of God. I'm going to share this with you in case you didn't know. I did not know, Lord knows, I did not know I had COVID last year. I went and tested on a Thursday morning, and at that time in October, we were told, if you test and you're negative, come on to work, right? I did not know I had COVID. I didn't feel good. I went and tested. I was negative, so they tell me. And I put on a mask, and I went to work. I stayed in my office all day long, except for two different times I had to discuss bank business with two different bank employees and I went in their office and wore my mask and made sure they wore their mask and we made sure we stayed six feet apart because they knew I had tested that morning and guess what I gave both of them COVID both of them because that Saturday morning I tested positive for COVID 
What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate with you. Simply put, what they, for me, from my experience, simply put, what they told us did not work. It did not work. But if you feel, hear me when I say this, if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, please, by all means, wear one. We have free ones available on both sides of the altar. We have them in this church. But I refuse to be, and I refuse for anybody else in this church to be the mask police or the vaccination police. Did you hear me? I I feel like I might need to say that again. I refuse for me or you to be the mask police or the vaccination police. You do whatever you feel is best for you. But please allow others the grace. Does anybody remember what grace is? To allow them to do whatever they feel is best for them and their families. Can I hear an amen? So I was talking to the Lord this past Friday morning about this very thing. Does anybody else just talk to the Lord like that? Abby and Angie was out of the house, and I actually forgot that Shelbo was still in the house and in the bed. And and, uh, I was just talking out loud toward the Lord. And uh, I actually thought maybe I, because I I got a little bit riled up, the preacher showed up while I was talking to the Lord. For those of you that don't preach, you may not know exactly what that's like, but the preacher showed up for me. Those of you that are prayer warriors that don't preach, you you still know what that's like. But anyway, I thought I might would have woke Shelbo up, but I promise you if he's asleep when the rapture comes, somebody needs to wake him up. I believe he'll go, but it takes a lot to get him awake. But anyway, I was talking to the Lord, and the preacher showed up. I said, Lord, the problem with this virus is nothing is definitive. Anybody agree with me? Nothing is definitive. I said, Lord, they told us you don't need a mask. If y'all remember that early on, anybody remember that? Very beginning. You don't need a mask. Then they told us everybody needs a mask. Then they told us to get the vaccine. And even if we were exposed, we would not have to quarantine or mask. But now they tell us everybody needs to mask indoors, vaccinated or not. They have changed their minds, Lord, time and time again. Nothing is definitive. I need some help from you this morning. Because listen, y'all don't know what I dealt with last week. You don't pastor this church. I don't know how many is in this 11 o'clock service, but there's about the same number of you that contacted me in one form or another about everything that's going on. And that's okay. I'm not complaining about that. But what I'm telling you is you didn't know where I was coming from. I needed to hear from God. And I said, Lord, nothing is definitive. I need you to help me this morning. And I'm telling you, the preacher showed up. And I said, Lord, all I know is, is what I know. And let me tell you something that is definitive. Lord, I know this is definitive. And guess what? I was proud of myself. I quoted this word for word without having to look it up. I said, Lord, this is definitive. Psalm 139 and verse 16 said, you saw me before I was born. Every single day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment of it was laid out before one single day had passed. God, I know that's definitive. You know what else I know is definitive? A lot of people don't want to hear it. A lot of people probably don't like it. But I'll tell you something else that's uncomfortable, yet it is definitive. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 said, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The problem with the church is everybody's more concerned about dying than they are about the judgment. But we need to prepare ourselves for the judgment that's definitive folks you may not die from COVID but you might die from cancer 
You may not die from a heart attack, but you may die from a blood clot. But if the Lord tarries His coming, I promise you it's appointed unto you at some point to die. We need to be concerned about the judgment. Now hear me when I say this. If God wants me to die from COVID, there's not a mask thick enough or a vaccine strong enough to keep me from dying. But if God does not will, did you hear me? For me to die from COVID, and I've already had it once. I already escaped it once. And if God does not will for me to die from COVID, you hear me when I say this. If God does not will for you to die from COVID, there's not a COVID demon from hell that can take you out of this world. Not one. Now hear me. I do not think we need to be reckless. I do not think we need to be careless and foolish. But I do think we need to use some good, God-given common sense. And I also think, I don't think I know, if we can trust God with our souls, surely we can trust Him with our lives. So, we'll use some good common sense and we'll do what this book says. And this book says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But guess what it says? So much the more, as you see the day approaching. They mess with me, the higher the numbers rise, the more often we'll have church. You say, preacher, that's foolish. I'm not being foolish. I'm telling, what I'm going to try to share with you today, if God will help me, is that we don't know about tomorrow. We serve the one who knows about tomorrow. We need to be, we need to be, careful and do the best we can, but we need to trust God with the rest of it. So if the Lord will help me for the next few moments, I'm going to preach to you a message I've simply titled, Uncertain. Finding certainty in uncertain times. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence today. God, help me to communicate this message, Lord, in, in a, in a appropriate amount of time. Help us, God, to see today that every single day of our life was ordered in your word before the first day ever came to be. You, you are the God who is in control of everything, God, but we also know that we serve a God that in these uncertain times we live in, there are some certainties, God, that we can be assured of with you. Help us see that today from your word. And God, more than anything, I pray if there's somebody here today, Lord, that's not prepared for the judgment, I pray, God, before that they leave this house of worship or before they turn off their live stream, that, God, they would give their heart and life to you. They would make their calling and election sure. For, God, I thank you. You are the God who saves to the uttermost. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, Nicholas. I'm sorry that took 10 minutes, and he don't feel good, but I promise he don't have COVID. He tested this week. He don't have it. He had it once before, so it's unlikely for him to get it again. But anyway, everybody is concerned about their future. And the, how many knows the future is a mystery to all of us? But God specializes in knowing and predicting the future. Did you know that? To what end, you may say, Pastor, what's the purpose of God showing us today what will happen tomorrow? Well, there were two men by the names of David Kristoff and Todd Nickerson who published a book in 1998. So that's 23 years ago. 
And the book was called Predictions for the Next Millennium. This book offered predictions by individuals from such fields as television and film, Nobel Peace Prize laureates, American and world government examples, literature specialists, and sports figures. And in this book, they gave their prediction of what they thought would happen in the next 1,000 years. And one of them predicts that we'll have a common language and a common currency back in 1998. Sound familiar? Another said a world, a one world government. Sound familiar? Another said that Earth's politicians, now this one's funny, Earth's politicians will be taking interplanetary economic lessons from alien beings to find out how to cooperate and to operate a government without taxing people to death. Now, interestingly enough, I told you who part of the people in this book were, and that was given by one of the original cast members from Star Trek. I kid you not. But knowing the future or predicting the future is a big business. And when I say business, I was appalled to realize that it's actually a $2 billion per year industry in our country. Did you know that? It is a $2 billion per year industry. When I say industry, I'm talking about things, some actually some devilish, demonic things such as palm reading such as cardamancy, which is predicting the future using tarot cards, uh, mediumship, aura readings, and astrology. Some of you don't think I was going to hit that one, but I'm going to. And in fact, today has been called the new era of astrology. They tell us that there is a resurgence of astrology among a very popular group of people. It's an age group that we like to refer to as uh, millennials. Uh, according, and those are people who were born in the early 1980s to the mid to late 1990s. And according to Atlantic Magazine, it says, Millennials have taken astrology and run with it. They feel that they are the most stressed out generation of all, and they're looking to astrology to cope. So why are people so obsessed about knowing their future? Uh, knowing our future is an obsession actually among every group of people, even Christian people. Christian folks, listen to me this morning. Uh, anybody know what it is to battle anxiety? You may know what anxiety is. Christian folks battling anxiety, you know what you're worried about? The future. Anxiety is being tore up over something that either hasn't happened yet and probably won't ever happen. Uh, and and that's, that's a definition of anxiety. Christian folks are battling anxiety. They're concerned and torn up about the future. And let me tell you, when it comes to churchgoers, nothing will sell out seats in a seminar or books on a shelf like prophecy. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I believe in Bible prophecy, and I'm going to talk about it this morning. But you can call a prayer meeting like I'm going to, and you can't get 20 people to show up. You say you're going to teach on Bible prophecy, and they'll pack the house out. How many knows what I'm talking about? A 2011 article called, Why Do We Keep Predicting the Future If We Are So Often Wrong? Think about that. Uh, it was written by a guy named David Ropeek in Psychology Today. It gives us an insight into our obsession for knowing the future. Here's a quote that he said I wanted to share with you. He said, one of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. The less we know, the more threatened we feel. Think about it. Knowing by that's full of fear today, he said, one of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. The less we know, the more threatened we feel. A lack of knowledge means we don't know what we need to know in order to protect ourselves. 
His article goes on to explain this by providing a helpful illustration. He says, picture, and I want you all to do this, that you're driving down a road, an open country road. You're doing 85 miles per hour. For those of you that don't know what that's like, pretend you're following Richie Baxter on a trip. You're doing 85 miles per hour. So forget about the speed laws right now. You're just on the open road. You're doing 85 miles per hour. And now guess what you need to do? Close your eyes. Keep them closed and drive another half mile to a mile. 85 miles per hour, eyes closed. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? You know why that's a terrifying thought? That's a terrifying thought because you don't know what you need to know in order to survive. See, self-preservation is a basic instinct. When you're driving your vehicle down the road, you're peering down the road as far as you can see, and your peripheral vision is active, watching all the areas around you. Why? So that you can get the information that you need to survive. Knowledge, he says in this article, knowledge of the future, even if it's incomplete knowledge, is power. It's what we don't know that scares us. It's what you don't know that instills fear upon you. But i got a question for you this morning. Do you really want to know your future? Would you really want to know what your future is? Do you want to know all the details of what's going to happen to you next week, next month, or maybe even 10 years from now? If you found out that somebody in your family or somebody that you deeply love was going to die a horrible death on a certain day, would you want to know that in advance and have to live with it until that day came? Absolutely not. I want to tell you this morning, God withholds such information like that from us as a protection for us so not to overwhelm us. Did you hear me? He's God. It's not mine in your place to know the future, so stay with me. However, there are some certainties that the Lord does give us about our future. That's what I'm going to talk about today. In the book of Daniel, there's a story about a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He is the world ruler at the time, and like most people, he was wondering about his future. He knew that he was going to die one day, and he wondered what would happen to him after he died. Who would take his position? Who would rule the world? And he, he, is the first, uh, he gives us the first certainty about the future. And I normally don't give you points, but if you're writing down notes this morning, I'm going to give you a few points today. The first point is the future is unknown to us. The future is unknown to us. It's impossible from a human perspective to predict future events. Let's look at Daniel chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. It says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams. Notice it does not say one but several. It's plural. Such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. Verse 2. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. So you got to picture a guy who's having a terrible night's sleep. He wakes up, and he's troubled by what he saw in his dream. He can't go back to sleep. He doesn't wake up refreshed. His sleep has left him. This dream can't be blamed on what he had for dinner that previous night because this dream was from God. I do believe, I don't believe every dream you have by any stretch of the imagination is from God, but I do believe that God deals with people sometimes in dreams. Am I in a full gospel church this morning? I do believe he deals with people in dreams. I was raised Baptist, and even the Baptists believe that, right? Amen. Hello. Anyway, he can't remember how it all fits together. And Scripture tells us that 
These dreams troubled him. The word for troubled here, if you look into the Hebrew, it's a very strong Hebrew word. The word troubled is payam, which means P-A-A-M. It means to beat something persistently. So what the Hebrew is telling us is that these dreams were beating on his mind, hammering on his thoughts, if you will. Nebuchadnezzar calls in all of his wise men, and he commands them to recount and reveal the meaning of this dream. Now, those folks who study human sleep behavior tell us that we dream every single night. We don't always recall what we dream, but we do dream. We typically dream our first dream episode, is what they call them, within 90 minutes of falling asleep. We're told we do this every night. You may say, well, now, preacher, I don't dream every night. Well, the, the experts say that we do. I don't, I don't, I don't think I do either. To, so to speak, but when I read this, what it tells me is recalling that dream is a totally different issue. You do dream, you just don't recall what the dream was. The average human being, they say, has five dreams per night. And science tells us that the dreams occur because these large cells in our brain stem are spontaneously firing about every 90 minutes and they're sending the stimuli to the cortex of your brain, which tries to unjumble and make sense of the information that's being sent to you. But in Nebuchadnezzar's case, God was causing those brain stimulations because God was speaking to him in a dream. The king responds by calling those folks on his payroll. Now, where we're living today, I, I'm going to try to preach this the way I did at 845. I'm going to try to say it without getting too specific as not to maybe offend some of you that's going to think I'm totally off my rocker. I just want you to see the correlation between that day and this day. So the king, the leader in charge, responds by calling those men on his payroll who specialize in dream prognostication. This is their forte. It's what they do. These individuals, though, they're not godly people. Did you hear me? They are not godly people. What they are is they are the cream of the occultic crop. Dreams and omens were their forte. And their opening remarks are very interesting. So you got the leader calling on the ungodly people to tell him what the dream meant and what's going to happen in the future. Are you following me? Verse 4. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Drop on down to verse 10. The astrologers replied to the king. Listen to this. No one on earth can tell the king his dream. Did you hear me? Nobody on earth can tell you about the future. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing from any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. I want you to note that. Mark that if you would. They finally admitted that they can't tell him what it was that he dreamed. They finally admitted they can't tell him what's going to happen in the future. In fact, no person on earth can. Can I tell you this morning, if those that are telling us one thing last year and changing their minds this year, if they would finally admit, you know what? We don't know anything. God knows everything. We can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. If we could just get them to admit that, the world we're living in would be a much better place. But yet they're causing division. Did you hear me? They're causing people to turn against people. It's fulfilling in time Bible prophecy. Brother will turn against brother. Church members 
member turn against church member. Why? Because one believes you ought to be vaccinated. One believes you shouldn't. One believes you ought to be wearing a mask. The other one believes you shouldn't. You say, preacher, I can't believe you're getting so open about this. Yes, I am, honey. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow but God. And if we stop acting like we've got it figured out and give it to God, God will protect us. And so we read that Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 14, look at what he said. He said, enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times strike, he did not say if. He said when hard times strike. Realize, watch this, that both come from God. Chew on that for a minute. Then he says, remember, nothing is certain in this life. So why is it that people keep trying? Why is it that every generation of people will do almost anything, including the methods of devils, to predict their future? I want to share a few things with you very quickly this morning. In ancient times, people used oracles to gain insight into their future. Oracles were intermediary interpreters of the, of the gods, the quote-unquote gods, to the human population. These people would get themselves in a hypnotic state or even a drug-induced state, and they would bring the message from the gods to the people. How crazy is that? Of course, when you're in a drug-induced state, you think and hear and see a lot of things that aren't there. How many knows what I'm talking about? Anybody ever known anybody that was higher than a kite? They think, they see, and they hear things that are not not there. And they would take what they heard from the quote unquote gods and tell it to the people. Then carrying on throughout history we read that during Roman times there was a very interesting way of predicting the future. Now I can only describe this as prophecy by chicken. You heard that right. Prophecy by chicken because here's what they would do. Where's John Martin? There's John Martin. John don't go home and don't, the disclaimer like on TV don't try this at home. They would put hens in a cage and they'd put food in the cage. And if the hens attacked that food enthusiastically, that was a good sign. It was a good omen. But if they ignored the food in the cage, it was a very bad sign. How crazy is that? Now this one, this is even worse. Another ancient way called uh, hepatomancy. Hepatomancy is what it was called. Which was uh, the, the oracles would read, are you ready for this? They would read dissected livers of animals. They would kill an animal, sacrifice it, and take out its liver. They would place a liver on a plate, and then they would jiggle the plate. And depending on which way it jiggled, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Depending on which way it jiggled, it told them something. They would look at the jiggling, dissected liver of a dead animal and predict the future. Crazy stuff. And some of y'all thought Pentecostals was crazy. It's that kind of stuff we laugh at. However, in the United States of America, 125 million people believe in astrology. Uh-huh, you didn't think I was going to go there, did you? 70 million people read their horoscopes every single day. In fact, 7% of them say that they have changed their behavior or the course of their day based on their horoscope. And you say, well, that's a small amount, preacher, 7%. I'll have you know that is 12 million people in our country every single day say that they change their behavior based on their horoscope. And what's even more shocking, according to the Gallup poll, 10% of people who say, who profess that they are 
evangelical Christians also believe in astrology to some degree. God help us. Now, every time I bring up stuff like this or some of the other stuff I preach on that gets me in trouble, there's always somebody that that has some kind of way to combat it. And I know some of y'all are going to say, but now wait a minute, preacher. I saw this special on TV uh, on on National Geographic about Nostradamus because, you know, National Geographic is the gospel, right? So I saw this on National Geographic about Nostradamus. And you know, he was an amazing guy who predicted the future. He was, a, he was a French physician and an astrologer from the 1500s. And according to the National Geographic channel, he predicted everything from the rise of Adolf Hitler to the Twin Towers falling in September the 11th, 2001. But when you go and study that, I read that and it kind of shook me. So I went and read what he said. When you go and study and read what he said, what he said was so vague. It was so hazy and so ambiguous that you could make it mean almost anything that you wanted to. Folks, there's a lot of prophet line going on in the world today. A lot of people saying God said things that God didn't say. A lot of people saying that God endorsed things that God does not endorse. A lot of people trying to make people feel comfortable about the lifestyle they're living. But when you get in the Word of God and find the truth of God, then you'll know that God did not say that. God does not endorse it. And if God says it's sin, it's still sin. I don't care what anybody else told you. Then there was another lady back in the 1960s who was called America's most famous psychic. Now, some of y'all that was alive in the 60s might remember her. Her name was Jean Dixon. Jean Dixon was most famous for her supposed prediction of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It was this supposed prediction that launched her entire career. She eventually ended up in daily newspapers all over the United States. Her actual prediction was made in 1956. She said that a Democrat will win the election and die in office. First of all, the last time I checked, there's only two main parties, Republican and Democrat. She had a 50% chance of being right to start with, right? 50% chance of being right. In the 1960s, I didn't know this. This this kind of shocked me. In the 1960s, the odds that a president would die in office was rated at about 40% because presidents were largely unprotected in those days. So let's just grant her 20% chance that her prediction is going to come true. When you compare that to prophecy given in this book, it's completely irrelevant. Because I want to tell you something. Everything prophesied in this book, I can give you a 100% guarantee is going to come to pass. Jesus Christ was not just a man that was recorded in the Bible. He was recorded, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was recorded in in all kinds of historical accounts. Even Josephus writes a a lot of things about Jesus Christ. Josephus isn't the Bible. It's a a uh, Christian-related account, historical account uh, of not only the life of Jesus, but about Christianity, period. It's not just something that was recorded in the Bible. What it is is something that was prophesied in the Bible. And he was a real man that came to a real earth that you and I are walking on today lived 33 years bled and died on that cross for the forgiveness of your sins he was buried and placed in a borrowed tomb for three days but on the third day just like the book prophesied he would he came out of that tomb he's alive forevermore he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's ever making intercession for you and I that's not just history that's Bible prophecy she also listen what this Jean Dixon did. She also predicted that World War III hadn't happened yet, right? She predicted that World War III would start in 1954. She's only 67 years late. She also predicted that Jacqueline Kennedy would never marry again. 
But in fact, she'd married Aristotle Onassis some years after JFK's death. So by the standards of this book, she's a false prophet. All that to say this, what those Chaldeans told the king, king, the future is unknown to us. What this pastor is trying to tell you this morning is, folks, the future is unknown to you. It's unknown to me. It's unknown from a human perspective. But here's a second certainty. Though the future is unknown to us, the future is known to God. Say amen, somebody. The king says, you guys tell me what I dreamed and what it means or I'm going to cut you in pieces and tear your house down. And they simply respond by saying, nobody can do what you're asking us to do. So the king gives the command to kill them. Did you know that? He gives the man the command to kill them. And part of that group just happens to be Daniel and his three friends. And Daniel gets wind of it in verse 15 and 16. And he said, he asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested one more time. He requested more time, sorry, to tell the king what the dream meant. If you read and study this story, you know what Daniel did? Daniel went to the king and he asked him for more time. Why did he ask for more time? He wanted to call a special prayer meeting. Hello, somebody. He wanted to get together with his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he wanted to pray. Can I tell you right now, if you would turn off the news, and if you would stop listening to social media, and if you would stop getting involved in all the political debates and reading every article you can get your hands on that come from both trusted and untrusted sources. And if you just dedicate some time, get yourself in a prayer closet, get down on your knees and shut the door and get along with God, God would speak to you. God would tell you about your future. God would reassure you that you belong to Him. He'd tell you, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You're to fear not and Trust me, somebody, say amen this morning. You have to turn me down, I'm screaming. I promise I'm not mad. Why is it that Daniel tells him to do that? He wants to have a prayer meeting. And verse 16 tells us why. Why do he want to have a prayer meeting? Because he wanted more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Now stop right there. How's he going to do that? Preacher, if the future's unknown to us, how's he going to tell the king what he dreamed in the interpretation of the future? Because Daniel believed that it is possible to know the future if God tells you. Mm-hmm. That's the only caveat, but it is a caveat. If God tells you, which he did in verse 19. Are you ready? That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Here we go. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. God spoke to Daniel that night in a vision. I believe in visions too. Visions are different than dreams. A dream happens when you're asleep, but a vision happens when you're awake. I don't believe in a lot of crazy stuff people tell me, but I do believe that God speaks in dreams and visions. So Daniel, while he was awake one night, saw, he was praying and asking God, God, I need you to help me with this. Uh, so he saw what the king had saw in the, dream, in the dream state, and it was powerfully displayed before him in a vision. And we read in Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, that he said this. I love this. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has, he has, has all wisdom and all power. He controls, watch this, He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and He knows what lies hidden in darkness. Did you hear your preacher this morning? He knows what lies hidden in darkness, though He is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what we ask of you and revealed what the king demanded. Can I tell you, God can do that. 
I said, God can do that. God has this quality, this this attribute, this characteristic that makes knowing the future possible. You know what it's called? It's called omniscience. You and I don't have it, but God does. Guess who else don't have it? The devil don't have it, but God does. It's called omniscience. He knows everything, and when you know everything, you know the future. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Some of you need to take note of that this morning. God knows everything that we do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. In other words, before I think a thought, you know what I'm going to think. You know my thoughts from afar off. You know it before I know uh, how comprehensive God's knowledge is because God has all of this knowledge. He's the know-it-all God. Somebody say amen. He knows it all. You know what? You can never tell God something he doesn't know. Did you realize that? Did you also know that absolutely nothing takes God by surprise? Nothing. Let that sink in for a moment. Coronavirus did not take God by surprise. He's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. And he's in control. So guess what? If he had wanted to stop it, he could have. But if he wanted to allow it to wipe out 700,000 people, he's God. I said he's God. He knows and he's in control. Nothing takes him by surprise. Now, I think most of us believe that, but it's just difficult for us to describe this attribute of God because it's so foreign to us. But God's knowledge, remember this, is immediate, it's comprehensive, and it's without deterioration. None of us can relate to that. If I were to, let me put it in layman's terms for you. If I were to give you a test back from your high school days, for some of y'all that's been a long time. But anyway, if I were to give you a test from your high school days, you'd probably fail it. Because all that knowledge that you learned right before the test is gone. In fact, there's some of us in this room who forget what we did yesterday. Hello, somebody. So God's knowledge is immediate, comprehensive, and without deterioration. It's also without painstaking research. You know, for me, a lot of times preaching is easy. It's the preparation that leads up to it, though, that's tough. I had to give up something I wanted to do Friday night because we had VBS Monday through Thursday. And so VBS went good, by the way, thanks to everybody that helped with it. But we had VBS Monday through Thursday, and so... Friday, I gave up Friday night and spent four and a half hours in study and prayer and an hour and a half yesterday morning after six hours, I prepared this message. But God don't have to do that. God never had to go to school. God never has to be informed. Do you realize this? Sometimes people think they have to let God know something. God knows everything. God never has to be informed. God never, uh, God never says, oh, really? Or, wow. Or, huh? Or, I didn't know that. God never says those things because the knowledge of God, I'm going to say it again, is immediate, comprehensive, and without deterioration. Now, because he knows it all, he therefore knows the future, and that's what Daniel was banking on. Can I tell you, as children of God, that's what you and I need to be banking on, is that we serve the God. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but thank God I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he's holding my hand. So Daniel stands before Arioch without anxiety, and he's very poised. I'm trying to hurry. He was very confident and very unruffled. He knows that God knows. He knows that God knows. It's just a matter of God revealing it to him. 
Now, God exists out of time. God is not confined by our space-time continuum, if you will. God dwells in the realm of eternity. You might call it the eternal present. He often, uh, the eternal present, and he often predicts what hasn't happened yet by using past tense verbiage, and it sounds like it's already happened because to him it's as if it already has happened. So I want to give you a third certainty. Thirdly, the future is made known to us. Daniel will now make known to the king. Let's go down and read verses 26 through 29 quickly. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel replied, There are no wise men. Listen to this this morning. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Can I just stop right there and tell you today, there is no CDC, no Dr. Fauci, or Dr. Burks, or anybody else who can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Can I hear an amen? Somebody, I feel like I got some kickback when I said that. Uh, Daniel said, there are no wise men. Did you hear me? There are no enchanters. There are no magicians or fortune tellers who can accurately tell you. That's why they told us one thing last year and another thing this year. I'm going to say it again. There is no CDC, no Dr. Fauci, no Dr. Burks, or anybody else that can definitely tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Verse 28, but there is a, oh hallelujah, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I'll tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. I love that. Basically he said, you just lay right there and let me tell you something. As you lay on your bed, he said, while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what's going to happen. So there's a God in heaven who can God in heaven knows your future. The God in heaven knows my future. Daniel said he's revealed it to me, and I'm I'm about to tell you. Now, here's the principle. Here's the principle, what I'm trying to tell you this morning. God wants to make it known to you. God wants to give you direction about you and your future. Not all of it. Like I said, all the details would be overwhelming, but parts of it. God wants to give us limited amounts of knowledge, and that's what biblical prophecy is all about. It's God telling us what's going to happen in the future. There's all kinds of biblical prophecy examples that are out there. He told Israel, before it happened, you're going to go into captivity in Babylon, and they did. Then he said, I'm going to bring you back, and they came back. He announced that there would be uh, one day, there would come one day a ruler. He prophesied there would be a Messiah, a mega prophet, the deliverer. And the prophets told about his life, his, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The Bible also reveals that, guess what? Our future judgment is coming one day. A great tribulation period is coming one day. Jesus will come back to the earth and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. You can take that to the bank. All of these things are going to happen one day. There's going to then be an eternal kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth. The future is given to us revealed by God. There are even some certain accounts where people are spoken about in the word before they were even born. Some of, them are even, some of them are even named by name hundreds of years before they existed and were told what they would do. In fact, one-fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. God telling people what's going to happen in the future. Now, folks, anybody can make predictions. Anybody can make predictions. But having those predictions come true, that's a whole different thing. I think we've seen that. Only God really knows and only God has it all figured out and only God is in control. That's why Daniel said there's a God in heaven who knows these things and reveals secrets. Listen to me. Bible prophecy is not a good guess. It's good news to a guessing world. And it's what gives us certainty. 
So the future is unknown to us. The future is well known to God. The future is made known to us. And finally, the future makes God known to us. This is the most important point of the whole message, and I'm about done. The reason God predicts future events is to make Himself known to people. That's why He does it. After Daniel tells him what he saw, what he saw, what it means, and what's going to happen after he dies, all the kingdoms that are coming, I want you to look at verses 45 through 47. He said, that is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God, remember that, the great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. And the king said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. I noted, I want you to notice what he calls God. Not just a God or my God, but the great God. The great God is the only one capable of making it come to pass. And look what he said. He said, the dream is true and its, mean, its meaning is certain. Family, God is the only one who truly knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He's the only one. He does. He holds the future. He holds your future. He holds my future. He's the only thing that is certain in this uncertain world. And you know why God used Bible prophecy? God used Bible prophecy to convince people to believe as a reason for faith, to persuade people to believe. John 14 and 29. This is Jesus talking. He said, I have told you these things before they happen. Has anybody read the book of Revelation lately? I encourage you, go home and read it. He said, I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. That's the goal. As they come to the music this morning, that's the goal. That you may believe. That you may trust. See, most religions in this world will base their beliefs on the philosophical postulates of their founders. The things that they said, the words of wisdom, you've seen the quotes. A lifestyle captured by their disciples and written down. But of the 25 books, and there are approximately 25 books out there that claim to be Scripture, there's something absent in all of them except this one. That's detailed, accurate, 100% accurate prophecy. You will not find it in the Quran. You won't find it in the book of in the writings of Buddha. You won't find it in the sayings of Confucius or in Hindu Vedas. Prophecy about the future of which God stakes his reputation is found only in the Bible. It's the only place. I would to God the people of God would read their Bible more than they look at social media. I would to God the people of God would talk to God more than they talk to other people who watch the news and read social media. If you'll stand with me all over the room this afternoon. So here's what we have today, and I've tried to communicate it as best I can. Here's God saying to you, to me, I know the future. You don't know the future. Nobody else knows the future, but I'm in the business 
of revealing it to you so that I can reveal myself to you. I want to make myself known to you. I want a relationship with you. Jeremiah 29 and 11 tells you what God's plan for you is. He said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Somebody that's bound up with fear and terrified this morning, you're probably not in the building, you're probably watching live stream. You need to hear me when I say this. God said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, watch this. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I'm going to close with this today. Do you remember, I'm not going to read the scripture, I'm just going to talk about it real quickly. Do you remember when Paul stood in Athens on the Oropagus on Mars Hill? He confronted all those philosophers of, uh, of Athens. And he said, you know what, you guys are so religious. Listen, I'm afraid this is a picture of the church today. We're so religious. we got so many gods. He said, I'm afraid y'all are so religious. You have so many gods. I'm afraid we got so many gods in the church today. we got... Some people this morning are worshiping the God of the lake. That may be funny. Some of them's worshiping the God of the ball tournaments. Listen, let me tell you something this morning. I'm going to say it. Pastor Mark said it last week, and I feel like it gave me the right to say it. I've never said it before, but I'm going to say it. Hear me when I say this. I am not against travel ball. Not at all. I am not against sports. I love sports. I'm not against travel ball by any stretch of the imagination. But if you can take your kids to ball tournaments and cheerleading competitions and you can't bring them to the house of God, we got a problem. If we believe the only place that we're going to get the virus is at church, we got a problem. Now let me take it a step farther than that. If you're making a God out of that, you got a problem. If we can, I'm not against it, folks. But if we can go two and a half months of the summer and never darken the doors of the church, but we're on a ball field somewhere every Sunday, we got a problem. Well, I've done it twice today. Nobody gets excited when you preach like that. Hear me again when I say I'm not preaching against it. Let me throw this out there for you, though. I'm not at all against it, but guess what? you got a travel ball tournament in Lexington next Sunday. That's all right. Have a good time. I pray you win. But you know what? I got tons of churches in Lexington I can tell you about that have an 830 service. You roll your hind in and your family's hind in out of the bed and roll them into the house of God before you go to the ball field. We make time for what we want to worship. And Paul told those people, I'm afraid you got many gods. And I've wandered around this city and I've saw the gods that you've raised up and I even found one. That's, used, that's, that's got an engraving on it on a statue that says to the unknown God and Paul said so you're worshiping all these gods and you've even up made, made one up called the unknown God just in case you left somebody out but Paul said it's him I came to proclaim to you that God that you don't know that's the God that wants to know you that God that you've not been worshiping that's the God that wants to get acquainted with you. See, folks, I'm afraid we've got a church world full of people that don't know the God that we serve. We need a personal relationship with Him. Paul said He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. God wants to make Himself known to all of us. Did you hear any hesitation in His voice at all? Daniel didn't say, did I get it right, Mr. King? Was that right? Was that accurate, what I told you about your dream? No. He said, this is a done deal. He said, it's certain. The interpretation I give you, it's sure and it's certain. 
See, God reveals himself in prophecy not just to make people aware, but to make them adore. He reveals himself in prophecy not just to inform people of God's plan, but to conform people to God's plan. I know I probably offended people that I love when I said that. But if I, listen, I want to tell you right now, if I offend you in some way, somehow, help you make it to heaven, it'll be all right that you're offended at me. Because I would rather lovingly tell you the truth and preach you the truth of God's Word. And some things are not compromisable. If you can't make time for God, there's a problem. We got our priorities out of order. And then we wonder why the church has no power. The church has no power because the people of God have their priorities out of order. And we're not worshiping the God that we say that we know. But when we put him first In the book of Revelation He said I've got somewhat against you Because you've left your first love It's time that the house of God It starts first in the house of God When we put God first When we return to our first love What did his word say? He said if my people Which call themselves by my name We got a lot of that going on too Everybody's a Christian But nobody wants to pray but God said if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways he said then will I hear from heaven I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land I don't know about you our land needs healed today our families need healed today our churches need healed today I'm going to close with this we don't need to be torn up about tomorrow we need to give it to God we need to get back in an altar of prayer let me say that I know it's 1227 I don't care I told Doris last Sunday we don't have church two hours every Sunday I'm going to make a liar out of myself before I get out of here today but I'm going to tell you something there's more things important than the buffet you're fixing to head to another thing COVID has done destroyed our altar times in our churches people afraid to gather around an altar because they're afraid somebody's going to have COVID my Lord in heaven first of all we've got free masks on both sides of this altar and I want to tell you something church if we dismiss the altars and we get away from the altars in our churches our churches will collapse if, we, if we're not a praying people we won't have any power with God if we're not a praying people, we won't have any favor with God. But God said, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. I want to tell you this morning, it's time for the church to find their place back in the altar. You don't need somebody, wait just a minute before you get excited. You don't need somebody to lay hands on you. You don't need to, you don't need to draw a spectacle to yourself. If God moves on you, that's wonderful. You know I'm all about it. But what you need to do is find yourself a place to humble yourself before God and spend some time in prayer with Him Corey Ten Boom said this she's one of my favorite people in modern history she was a Christian believer who helped hide Jews in World War II her family was called and placed in a Nazi concentration camp and then they were moved to another concentration camp and she, she was treated brutally for years and she almost died and she said this I wish I'd have put it on the screen but I'm going to close with this today she said never you worried about tomorrow you worried about what's going to happen next? You worried if the virus is going to get worse? Don't be worried that they're going to shut the church down because they ain't shutting this down. So stop worrying about that right now. But here's what she said. Never be afraid. 
to entrust an unknown future into the hands of a known God? <laughs> That's my question today. Do you know Him? If you know Him, you don't have to be afraid to entrust your future to Him. If you don't know Him, this altar is a place, I promise you, He'll meet you here today. As they sing, this altar's open. I want to invite everybody that will to join me. Let's find a place to pray and spend time with